Hello, everybody. This is Shift M Podcast and an episode with a special guest. We have Suzanne Lucas with us today, and I will ask her to introduce herself. Suzanne? Well, hi, I'm Suzanne, and I, um, <clears throat> I write about human resources and business. You can find me anywhere on the internet by Googling Evil HR Lady. I'll pop up, or you can Google my name, Suzanne Lucas, and I'll pop up too. So um, I'm easy to find. Uh, Suzanne, my first question is why it's evil HR lady? I think this question is being asked many times, but I still have to ask it. Yes, lots of people ask it. And it's because nobody really likes their human resources department. Um, and they're always looked on as, as being a, a necessary evil. And part of that is just because human resources carries out the bad things. You know, if your boss wants to give you a raise, he doesn't ask for an HR manager to come in with him to discuss it. But if he wants to fire you, he's going to call the HR person to have her come down. So, you know, we're, we're there for the bad news, not for the good news. And then we're also the masters of paperwork and nobody likes paperwork. So there you go. So do you really like you work as an HR person or you mostly write and talk and, and, um, Right now, I write and talk. Um, I, don't, um, I don't work for corporate HR anymore. I used to. I spent 10 years in corporate human resources, and then I switched and um, focused my efforts on writing and speaking and um, generally trying to influence HR policy for good. So you're not an evil person anymore? No, no. <laughs> but you're advocating for them or you're like trying to defend them or on which side are you now? I'm not on a side of, you know, I'm not HR versus employees. I am for better jobs for everyone. So that means I am in favor of good managers. It means I'm in favor of good human resources department. I'm in favor of employees that follow rules and do what they should. So I am in, on the side of what is best for everyone. And sometimes that means taking the side of the business. And sometimes that means taking the side of the human resources department. And sometimes that means taking the side of the employee. But mm -hmm. overall, if we treat everybody right, um, our businesses do better. Mm -hmm. Well, you said uh, we, the subject today is quite difficult probably to discuss is we're going to talk about bullying in the office and yeah. uh yeah and making people uncomfortable let's put it this way and but before we get there i want to ask a question about something you said just now you said that good people like good uh, employees are following rules but yes. there are so many coaches and there's so many books who are saying that if you want to do something really good you have to go outside of the rules you have to do something outside of the box and, uh, and, you know, break the system somehow. And that's how you actually contribute to everything, to the business, to the market, everything. So, so what do you really think we need to do? We need to follow the rules or we need to break the rules? It depends on what you mean by a rule. So if there's a, a rule that doesn't make any sense, yeah, that following it doesn't help you any. But here's the thing. If it's really, really, really important to your boss that you're on time to work, and you want to be successful at that job, you need to be on time to work. Does that mean that every job everywhere in the world should operate on a strict schedule? No. 
But if you want to succeed where you are, you need to pay attention to what your boss wants and what your boss needs. Now, it could be that your boss is a complete idiot, and that certainly happens. There are many terrible bosses out there. But then you have to decide, do I want to succeed at this job or do I want to move on to something else? And both are perfectly legitimate things to decide. But you have to play by the rules of whatever job you're in. And that changes from job to job. So if you want success, you have to figure out what the rules are around that. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the question about bullying. Can you define what bullying is for That's our listeners? Actually, a really difficult question. Um, and it's one of the reasons why there don't tend to be laws against bullying because it's very difficult to, to define exactly what bullying is. Um, Are you Googling now? <laughs> I am actually, because I read a, a quote from a teacher who explained it. If I can find it, it'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> bullying is when someone is being hurt either by words or actions on purpose, usually more than once. And that's one definition. But the thing is, is that so many people see every negative thing as bullying and that's not bullying. Um, you know, going back to the example of, um, of following the rules. So if I'm your boss and we work say at a restaurant, mm -hmm. And a restaurant is one of those jobs where you have to be on time. You know, you can't just decide, oh, I'm going to be late, so we're going to open late. You can't do that. That's not functional at a restaurant. You know, you have customers that are going to come. Right. So you come late, and I say, you need to be on time. Now, that's not bullying, but there are plenty of people out there that say, oh, my gosh, she was so mean. You know, she got angry at me. That's bullying. And then tomorrow I say the same thing. You need to be on time. You were late again. And if you're late one more time, I'm going to fire you. And that sounds mean and harsh and it hurts your feelings, right? Correct. But it's not bullying. It's the reality. This job requires you to show up on time. And so any corrections coming is not that. Now, if I said, you know, you're a stupid, horrible person and because you're late, that moves us more into the bullying area because I'm not talking about your action. I'm talking about your character. But the reality is, is you still need to be on time. And to solve that problem, you could show up and then that bullying stops. Now, if you start coming on time and I still tell you that you're a stupid, horrible person, then I would define that as bullying. But it's not always, you know, black and white. It's not always easy to see what is and what is not. But this is something we need to fight with, against, and on our workplaces, or is it something which we just need to put up with and live with it? The bullying. We need to fight against the actual bullying. Um, we need to follow, as we said earlier, follow the rules that are necessary for that, for that job. But if somebody is purposely undermining you, purposely being mean, that needs to stop. And how the problem is, is that generally employees can't 
handle it themselves if it's their manager or their HR manager. And yes, HR managers do bully that are take, uh, that are being the bullies. And really that starts at senior management because if, if your boss is a horrible person, it's her boss that is allowing that to happen. And you as the employee, there are some things that you can do, but really unless her boss is willing to take control of the situation, you're kind of stuck as an employee. And then you have to decide, is this job worth it or should I move on? But isn't it, 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 isn't it inevitable, the bullying part of any management? Well, let me, let me, let me redefine and restate it. Uh, it seems to me that any management is based on some sort of hierarchical positioning of people. So somebody is staying on the bottom, somebody is staying on top. And that implies by definition some element of forcing people to do what they don't want to do at some, you know, at some point. So it's, it's really difficult to imagine a company or a group of people or a team where everybody's happy to do what they do because they enjoy it so much and they love each other and it's a complete peace, peaceful situation. There is, there is some force involved to be. There is, it's inevitable. And it's, it seems to me that the bullying part is just a word we're using for, for, this, for this management, for this force part of the management. Don't you think so? No, I don't, because force is an interesting word. So I'm, I'm self-employed, right? So I, I don't have a boss other than me. But you know what? I really hate sending out invoices. I hate the accounting part. Now, do I do it? Yes. Does, um, is it necessary as part of my job? Yes, because otherwise I don't get paid. But I wouldn't call it a force thing. You know, when I worked in, in corporate life, there were tasks I didn't like. Everybody has tasks that they didn't like. But it's part of the job. Force is a very strong word. If you want to argue that we should all go through life only doing things that you know, bring us direct joy, that sounds great, except that no one would ever do the dishes. Um, garbage would pile up everywhere. And pretty soon we'd all run out of clean underwear. Um, there are things that we do that we don't love, but I wouldn't use the word force. We do it because it's part of the job. A manager doesn't need to force anybody to do things. A good manager says, this is what needs to get done. And a good employee carries it out. And sometimes those are things that are fulfilling and enlightening and wonderful. And sometimes it's doing laundry that just, you know, has to get done. And those things don't make it bullying. What makes it bullying is if you're mean about it, you're taking credit when other people do things, you are lying about people, you're gossiping about people, you are neglecting to give credit to people that have earned it. That kind of behavior has to stop and that has no place no matter how hierarchical the business is you can be the ceo of a fortune 500 company and not be a bully because do you really think so you know I mean? do you really think it's possible to be the Absolutely. boss of a big company and not do the things you just mentioned because the things you mentioned these four things they sound like the definition of politics this is how get this is how people get 
you know, get promoted in the hierarchy by doing exactly those things, which are not a good things at all, but it seems that this is how people get, get, get up, you know? Well, there are things that are necessary to, to be done. You know, if, if I don't send out invoices, I don't get paid. I hate sending out invoices. It's a pain in the neck, but it's necessary for the company's success. You know, if you are a cashier at a grocery store, counting your drawer at the end of the shift is necessary. Is it fun? No. Is it necessary? Yes. It, it's not a matter of saying that you can only do fun things or that bosses don't ask people to do things that are unpleasant. They do. But bullying is more of an attitude than a task. Lots of tasks have to get done. That's why we call it work. And why this bullying is happening? What do you, what do you think? Because the people are by, by nature are evil or because the, the situation makes them do that? I think people are by nature nervous about their own standing in the world. Um, and they find it easier to knock other people down than they do to help other people and to trust that they will get credit where it's deserved. So if you have, if you have a bully that, you know, says to the boss, Suzanne isn't doing her fair share. The goal there is to get more credit than you are due to get more reward. So it is kind of that innate, I don't want to use the word evil, but innate selfishness that we all have. Whereas if you're being kind, you step forward and say, hey, you know, this other person did a great job on this. The risk you take there is that someone else will say, hey, wait, well, this other person is better than you are. Maybe we'll give that person the promotion. And so it's kind of this self-protection thing. And sometimes you just have people that are mean and enjoy being mean. And that happens. But it has to stop at the top of an organization. You, you can't fix this one from the bottom. Have you ever seen situations where, maybe you can give an example, where a bully or a bullying uh, situation has been fixed and resolved and, and has been stopped? Well, absolutely. Um, matter of fact, I had a boss once who was a terrible bully. She used to yell and scream and um, call people names. And it went on for a very long time. And then she got a new boss. And that new boss came in and said, this is done. You're not going to do this anymore. And she didn't stop it. And she was fired. And it solved the problem. And we got a new boss who was amazing and awesome. And productivity in the department went up. And um, our realms of responsibility increased, and it was an amazing, amazing department and an amazing place to work. And that was because the big boss stepped in and fired the bully. Well, it sounds like, the, well, in this case, the solution is to get rid of the bully. But my question is, have you seen the situation where we had a bully and then we did something and the bully converted into a normal person? Um, I don't have a personal experience with that, but I certainly have seen cases where people have come to me with things um, and asking questions on how to do that. And you can, but it requires a lot of work. So 
what would have had to happen in this situation if the if if my bad boss hadn't been fired would be that her boss would have had to work very closely with her and corrected her every time she did something rotten. Sometimes that's worth it. Sometimes it's not. And that's what it takes though, is this constant correction and a constant calling out of, of things. But part of the problem with bullying is, is that a lot of bullies are very good at doing things behind the scenes. And so their boss never sees it and the human resources department never sees it. They do it very carefully. And you can see this starting out in, in school. Um, years ago when my daughter was in first grade, there was a girl who was bullying her and I went to the teacher and the teacher said, okay, I'll keep an eye on it. And a few days later I went back and, and the teacher said, well, I didn't see anything. And I said, well, my child has come home with stories and she said, well, I stand on the center of the playground and I watch and I didn't see this girl pushing your child. And I said to her, this is not what girls do. How could you be a, you know, a first grade teacher and not understand? Of course, this girl wasn't going to push my child in front of the teacher. She wasn't pushing her anyway. She was saying mean things and the teacher was standing in the center of the playground. She didn't see it because she wasn't close enough to hear. And it wasn't until I explained, which I shouldn't have had to explain to a teacher, that no, you need to listen to what she is saying. You need to be closer to that. But this girl was, was smart enough that she didn't say anything when the teacher was around. And that's a first grader who can figure that out. A 45-year-old has had many, many years to practice their, their secret bullying techniques. And so that can be part of the problem is that people see the victim and think the victim is crazy because this person they're claiming is a bully has always been perfectly nice to everyone else. Well, that's because bullies are smart. They do it. They behave properly when the boss is around. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that sounds like what's happening in offices, actually. Yeah, that um, happens a lot in offices. Yeah. But you know, when I think about this bullying problem as a, being a manager, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think that those people who we call bullies are not the, the worst people in the team. They are sometimes uh, are pretty active and uh, aggressive in a good in a good way and pretty uh, motivated to do something. But they don't know exactly how to do that because there are no explicit rules of you know becoming the the best, becoming the winner, and getting on top of everybody else. And that's why they're trying to use other techniques which we don't like. Like the example with the, with the girl in the school. She didn't know how to win against your daughter because there were no explicit rules defined by the teacher. And that's why that they, they use the techniques and, and methods which nobody really liked, which we call bullying. But if the teacher would give her the explicit formula of how you can be the best one, how you can win the position on top of everybody else. And in order to do that, for example, you need to get better, uh, you know, better scores of your, you know, essays of your work. I don't know what you do in the first grade, <laughs> but you do some formal stuff, which everybody will appreciate. And the teacher will say, now that girl is number one and that girl is number two. And everybody will know the formula, like in the sport, you know, you don't need to be a bully when you, for example, run a marathon, a marathon. You just, there's no point of being a bull. You just run. And, and if you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. 
you can bully everybody around you, but in the end, if you be the first one, you, you're the first one. But we don't have that explicit rules in many cases, in many offices, and that's why bullies come out. Well, I agree with you that the, that that is a huge problem, and one of the problems that compounds that is cultural differences. I mean, you are sitting in Russia, in Moscow, yeah. in Moscow and I'm assuming you're Russian. Yeah. And I'm sitting in Switzerland, but I'm American. And so just between the two of us, we're dealing with three different cultures. Right. <laughs> and, and some things are, are just so little and they can cause big problems. Um, I had an experience where um, a bunch of Swiss people were complaining about Americans who would overstay their welcome at a party. Mm -hmm. And I said, as, as an American, I said, well, did you start giving hints that it was time to go? Like, oh, goodness, it's been a great evening, but it's getting late. And they said, no. And I said, well, you need to do that. They're like, no, the guest does that. And it turns out that in American manners, the host is the one that indicates that it's time to end. And in Swiss manners, it's the guest that indicates that it's time to go. So since neither person knew what the other was expecting, they both were waiting for the other person to start this, it's time to go. And so neither wanted to be rude by bringing it up, but their being rude was exactly the expected behavior that the other person wanted. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And so, you know, that was just a funny story, but you take that and move that into an office. And I don't know a lot about Moscow, but where I live in Switzerland, 30% um, of the population is foreign, non-Swiss. And so in your office, you may have, you know, 10 people and have five different countries represented. And so just trying to manage those different cultures can be very difficult. And if you don't set out clearly what the company culture is, then you're going to run into those conflicts and you'll even have the perception that someone is being rude or bullying you when they have the perception that they are following all of the necessary rules. And so I think you're right that there needs to be a real um, clear definition of what success looks like, what proper behavior is in an office, and all of those things. Otherwise, people get bent out of shape when, when something comes up and, and doesn't fit in with their expectations. And the problem with culture is, is that we grow up with a culture and you don't realize that that's not how the whole world operates until you move to a new culture. And then you find out that what normal is, is purely culture. Yeah, that's true. That brings us to the question about discrimination, actually, because I've, I've been in a situation once in the office where I saw my manager uh, ask me to interview a guy for a position of a programmer. And I did the interview because I also, I also was a technical person at that time. And uh, I did the interview, but the guy was from India and the entire team was from Germany. So it was a German company and everybody were 
like white males there. And the guy came from India and he was Indian and like 15 years older than everybody else in the team. So I did the interview and I told my manager that um, the guy is good. He was really technically good and competent, but he was obviously older than everybody else and from a different culture. And the manager just told me he's not a good fit. And that's it. That's the answer I got I from my manager. I still remember that. And that was, in my opinion, that was some sort of discrimination. But the manager was protecting the culture of the team. So if we would bring that person to the team, there were all obviously that some sort of bullying would happen. I don't know what would happen. But what do you think about that kind of discrimination, like protecting the culture, but discriminating people who are pretty good technically and potentially competent for, for the team? Well, I think that that kind of discrimination is wrong. First of all, just because somebody comes from a different culture doesn't mean that they can't fit into a company culture. Secondly, age discrimination is rampant. Um, a few years ago, I wrote an article about age discrimination. Someone had come and asked me a question about how to work with an older boss. And they had said in their email, you know, I have nothing to talk about. Not with an, I have nothing to talk about with this person. This is horrible, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so I answered their question and, you know, I said, you know, you need to just look at this as another person and not worry about the age difference. The picture I chose to accompany the article was a picture of an older man. I got another email from this woman who said, you're undermining your message about age discrimination by showing such an old guy. And she went on to say, I'm 50. I go to the gym three times a week. People think I'm no older than 30. I look great. Um, that's how it should be. Nobody wants to work with a guy that looks that old. <laughs> and she couldn't see that she was doing exactly what she accused other people of doing. Because to her, 50 was not old. And so you shouldn't discriminate against 50. But this guy who looks probably 70 He's old. He's okay to discriminate against. <laughs> uh, she, didn't, she didn't see it. Likewise, you bring in this guy from India to your team and you say, well, we want to keep the culture the same. Well, what do you mean by the culture? You want to keep everybody German? Um, which they've already failed because you're Russian, right? Yeah. But um, you want to keep everybody white male? That's not culture. That's skin color. Maybe your culture should be we work hard. We attain goals we make quality product, we write quality code or whatever it is you guys did. Then you ask that question, does this man from India fit into that? Can he do quality work? Yes. Can he write quality code? Yes. You know, then he's okay for that culture. It's the idea of skin color or nationality doesn't make a company culture. The company culture is do we treat, how do we treat people? Um, what kind of work do we do? How do we approach work? Do we do things that, you know, require flexibility? Or are we really one of those places where everybody is on time and, and you know, has to follow checklists? And while I'm not a checklist people, there are people that are and that thrive in that culture. But being a checklist person versus more of a free spirit isn't a race thing. It's not a gender thing. It's not an age thing. It's not a sexual orientation thing. It's a company culture thing. And you can find people of all different categories that will be checklist followers. And you can find people in all different categories that will be free spirits. Even uptight Swiss people who are uptight 
there are some free spirits among them here who would do really great in a free spirit environment and would fail in a checklist environment. That's the kind of culture, not a skin color, not a race, not a gender, um, not a nationality. And when you start looking at those things, I think that's a recipe for failure, especially in a global climate. I mean, I am sure that Moscow is also very global right now. Yeah, it's pretty global, but still there's a lot of prejudice against uh, racism, color, and sex is everything. It happens, we see it here as in many other places. And that's the my next question comes from there. Uh, don't you think that this discrimination and uh, hostility and xenophobia is something which we naturally have in our brains because we're, you know, by definition, we're sort of animals and we are, uh, we are always trying to, to, to define who is, the, who is a friend, who is an enemy. And this is, we need that for survival, you know, in the wild. We're, we don't live in the wild now, but still we, we inherit that from animals. And we need to define who is our friend and who is our family, who is our uh, enemy. So by looking at the person, if I see that the person is a different color, then it automatically triggers me inside me that he's not one of us. And uh, even though we are now a civilized people and we, we definitely understand him, he is one of us because he lives in the same country, he speaks the same language, he writes the same Java code, I don't know. But our, you know, our animals inside us tell us that that potentially is an, is, a, is an enemy. So be on alert. And that's where comes all these negative discrimination things. Don't you think so? I think there's definitely a trend, not a trend, there definitely is something to that. And if you look at evolutionary biologists, you'll see that they have studied that. One of the things that they've found is that people can generally only really know 100 people. And otherwise, you know, everybody else is kind of a stranger. And so then you have to make that judgment. Who looks like me? Who looks like they fit into my, into my neighborhood or whatever? And it also allows us to to be nervous of the other and in ancient societies that served us well um, you lived in small villages and you knew everybody and so somebody coming from the outside you didn't trust because they weren't part of your group and you didn't know what they were bringing and a lot of times they were bringing war or they were bringing disease and that was something that you know people came from other villages and right. brought you diseases that were new to you and that can be devastating. So people are naturally nervous about others. In today's society, we don't live in a small village with a hundred people in it. We live in huge cities and we see thousands of people on a daily basis. I mean, I ride public transportation. I don't own a car. So every day, if I get on the tram or the bus, I'm going to see people that I don't know. And, and so that's a very different life than we lived thousands of years ago. And our brains haven't quite caught up to that. And this is one of the reasons why it's so critical that we teach our children that everybody is equal and that we don't judge people by their skin color or their accent or, or whatever, because it is ingrained in us. I mean, I always see people say, you know, little kids are never racist. That's taught. I think that's absolutely false. I think little kids are naturally scared of things that are different than they are. And if you look at, you know, a, a school class, they will find a reason to pick on one of the kids. And if one kid has a different skin color than all the other kids, that's an easy thing to pick on. 
Mm-hmm. If everybody's the same skin color, they'll find something else. Someone else is too tall. Someone else is too short. Someone else, you know, dresses funny. There's always going to be this thing with children trying to, as you said, figure out who they are. And as such, they'll find someone that's different than them and gang up on that person. It's our job as adults to stop that behavior in kindergarten. And if we can stop that behavior in kindergarten, hopefully when these kids grow up and go into the working world, they won't see the man from India and say, oh, he won't fit our culture. They will say, oh, he's a really good programmer. Um, Let's bring him on board. That sounds like a like a really great definition of the future, but don't you think that by <laughs> yeah, but by suppressing uh, the kids' natural desire to define who is with them and who is against them, like you just said, I definitely like the example. I agree. I remember my school time that we definitely were trying to find who is you know who, who doesn't look like we are, who doesn't behave like we are, who doesn't dress like we are, and you know, to, to define groups and understand who is against who. And if we suppress that desire in our children, and we tell them that don't do this definition, don't try to discriminate and define groups and find enemies, maybe we ruin their fundamental interest for, uh, I don't know, for the competition, for becoming better, for winning something, and they will grow up like nobody's, they will grow up with no ambition. They will grow up like if they think that everybody is a friend and everybody, and there is no friend, no enemies, then there will be no motivation for them to fight for better world, for improvement. I don't think you want to tell everybody that everyone's a friend, but that we don't choose our friends based on these superficial things. Um, you know, you can teach them success. Someone still gets the high score on the math test. I actually think that's important. That's something that the schools don't like to do anymore. Um, they don't want everybody to, you know, know your grade, but I think that it can actually be um, beneficial to know where you stand and to know what you need to do to get ahead. Like you were saying earlier, Now, I don't mean that we should purposely torture kids um, because some kids aren't going to do as well in general, but having people have an understanding of what it takes for success is important. The important thing is to separate out the things that are important than the things that are not important. Skin color, not important. National origin, not important. You know, hair color, not important. Important, how well you do on an exam. Yes. Important, how you treat other people. That's important. Um, Those things we want to teach people to look for. And do we need to, to focus on having, you know, an enemy? And that's one of the things that, you know, really can bring people together is having the same enemy. I'm not a big fan of that, but, you know, you look at, at sports right? and people like, you know, live and die based on their sports team. But then after the game is over, you're still friends with people who had a different sports team. And I think that's something that, you know, kind of should be emulated in the rest of, of life. You know, just while the game is on, I'm cheering for this team, you're cheering for that team. But as soon as the game is over, we're back to being on the same side. Right. So it's, it sounds like we, we, we should blame the teacher for the bullying <laughs> kids, right? <laughs> yeah, we should always blame the teachers and then the parents. No, um, <laughs> 
you know, teachers have a really hard job and you could not pay me enough money to teach, you know, second grade. It would be horrible. I would be horrible at it. It's really, really hard. And they're dealing not only with the kids, but they're dealing with the parents and parents come with all sorts of different attitudes too. And I, um, there, there's a, a kid in, in my son's class who is, he always tells me stories about this kid. He's a little bit um, obnoxious. And I met his mother on back to school night and she was wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm no angel on it. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you are definitely this child's mother, <laughs> you know, whatever she was, her personality was influencing her son. And it was probably also genetic. You know, you just, this kid is a very in your face kind of a kid and that can be genetic um, as well as a personality training thing. And she was obviously a very much, you know, hi, here I am. You know, I'm not going to make any allowances for anybody else. I'm no angel. The teacher has got to deal not only with that kid, but with the personality and prejudices and biases of the parent. That's a really hard job, a mm -hmm. really hard job. And the other thing is, is you can teach all day long, but if somebody doesn't wish to learn and doesn't wish to make the changes, no amount of teaching will change that. They have to want to do it from within. So I don't blame teachers. I don't even blame parents. For adults, I only blame themselves. You know, no matter what your childhood was, you can decide if you want to be nice or not. But we, but people want to win in the office. I'm trying to get back to the office situation. <laughs> we, we as, for, let's say I'm a programmer, so I get into the new team and I get into the new company. I want to win the competition somehow. I don't want to stay on the bottom of the, of the entire hierarchy. I want to be promoted eventually. I want to be respected. I want to earn something for myself. And I, if I don't see the rules, if I don't see how this competition can be won, then I start bullying people around me, but naturally, because that's the only, the only technique I, I still have left in my, in my toolbox. Right, which is why, as, we started, said, as you said at the beginning, we need to go and make sure that we have clear rules and clear expectations of what is acceptable and what success looks like. And part of that is, is got to be being really clear on the difference between doing and managing. Generally in business culture, we consider managers as higher than the individual contributors. But you said you're a technical person and I can tell you right now that there are some tech people out there that should earn a heck of a lot more money than their managers do because they're far more productive and they bring better success to the company and all of that, but they don't manage other people. But we don't tend to reward people that way. We tend to reward them based on managing. But we never really define uh, what it takes to become a manager to move up that ladder. And so people think, well, I am the best coder on the team, so I should get the promotion. But if your personality is such that you're not any good 
at managing other people, you're not really the person that should be managing. Should you be rewarded financially for being the best coder? Absolutely. But we need to make it clear that when we're promoting to a management position, we're not only looking for technical skills, we're looking for personality skills and management skills. Some of those, actually I take it back, all of them can be taught, but you have to be willing to learn them. And a lot of times companies aren't willing to teach those things. Yeah, that's right. And can we know at the beginning when we just hire, uh, this is the question for the HR part of, of your uh, of your profile uh, can you tell a person when the person just shows up for the interview that there is a potential bully in front of us or the person will behave more properly um, if I had a technique for that I would package it and sell it and then I'd be really rich <laughs> you know hiring is a real skill and one of the problems that we have in business is that most managers don't hire all that much. You know, if you've got a team of five, um, which is a pretty standard size for a team, you maybe will have one person quit every other year, you know, so you're hiring one person every two years. That gives you no chance to really learn what you're doing. <laughs> And another problem that we have is in a lot of companies, recruiting is seen as an entry-level HR job. So you have a lot of 22 and 23-year-olds doing their recruiting. Well, they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, you just, you don't at that age. You don't understand the business. You don't understand what makes a good hire and what makes a bad hire because you don't have the experience behind it. So when you have a 22-year-old recruiter and a manager that hires one person every two years, it's no surprise that we get bad hires. It's actually a surprise that we get good hires. <laughs> <laughs> So there is no, there is no, um, you would not give any recommendations for, for the 22 years old hire managing, hiring well, manager. I mean, everybody needs to start out somewhere, right? And learn things. But as long as your 22 year old is being trained by someone with experience, then that's great. The problem is, is when you have an, an entire department of, of inexperienced people and and I don't mean to sound like age discrimination, but there are things that just take time to learn and you're not going to know them on your first job. Do we expect that people will make mistakes on their first jobs? Absolutely. Do we expect that people will make mistakes on their 10th job? Absolutely. But the question is, is there a manager that can help guide and develop and help the person learn? And if there is, then that's going to be okay. But if there's not, if we just throw that person to the wind, then, then we cross our fingers and hope for the best and it may or may not work out. We need to acknowledge that hiring is difficult, that hiring is a skill, and that we need to teach that skill to managers. If we do that, we can definitely increase our, our good hire to bad hire ratio. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we need to do um, is do a lot more with references. And I don't know how things are in, in Russia, um, in Switzerland, when you leave a job, your boss writes a letter that's supposed to be a reference, but they're frequently negotiated and, and not very clear on what actually, what kind of employee you actually were. In the United States, 
references are done via telephone. And a lot of companies have policies against giving references out because they don't want to be sued uh, because Americans, we like to sue people. Right. And the, as a result, you don't necessarily know what happened with this person in their previous job. But even with a good reference, that doesn't mean anything or a bad reference if you don't know the person giving it because how do I know that the person giving me the reference wasn't the problem? You know, you can say this was a terrible employee, but it might've been that the manager was actually the terrible one. You know, it's, it's impossible to know. So that's where networking becomes really important and helpful in hiring because then you know people that know the person that you're hiring and can give you an honest outside opinion on that. But then you come to that problem that you mentioned earlier when you interviewed the man from India. Your German staff is going to know other Germans. And they're not going to know the guy from India because we tend to group towards each other. So while networking can really help you get a quality hire, it also necessarily excludes people that you don't know otherwise. And so that can be bad. In other words, this is really complicated and not easy to solve. Sorry. Right. Yeah. But I'm more interested in the, uh, in the situation in the interview room. And uh, I can tell by myself, by my own experience and by the experience of people who I talk to sometimes, other programmers, they say that if they behave uh, direct and let's say aggressively or more, you know, pushy at the interview room, then their chances to get a job are lower. So they just, they just, they're, they're potential like hiring managers and potential manager. They just, they just put them in the, in the category of potential bullies because they are being direct and being explicit about the, the facts they say and about, you know, things they say. And the, when they trying to keep their mouth shut, and don't say too many things and, 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 and always be polite and always trying to be correct, then the chances of getting hired are higher, especially in California now, especially in the world where this you know, political correctness is the, the, the way more important than your Java skills, the programming skills. <laughs> so. that, that is true, and I don't ever want to work in California. Um, but you also have run into a problem with bias um, against women, men can be seen as more direct and that seems as a positive thing. A woman that is direct is seen as a negative thing. And you gotta say, well, that's the same skill, that's the same personality, but you switch the gender and suddenly a positive becomes a negative. There was a new study out um, just this week that talked about how in order to succeed at work, women have to be nice and men don't have to be. And that, I think everybody should be nice. I think the takeaway from that is that men should be nice. But um, the other takeaway from that is simply that we treat people differently and we have different expectations of what people should be like. And then we punish people who don't act in the way that we expect. And that can be with gender, it can be with race, it can be with national origin, it can be with sexual orientation. And it's not that somebody would say, oh, I don't want to hire women 
they would just say, I expect women to behave this way. And actually they wouldn't say it. It's all subconscious. You just expect a woman to behave in one way. And when she's not, then you take that as a negative. And the same with, with men. And actually when I say, I think everybody should be nice, there's probably some argument to be made that a man being nice would actually be against what people expect of him and could damage his career as well. So yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have any big solutions for you. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you that there are lots of problems. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sorry. <laughs> if you wanted a solution, oops. Well, but let's think, let's discuss, you know, the global vision of what's happening now that, like I said, we are, uh, we are trying to, it seems to me that big corporations now, especially in America and uh, where big IT corporations are, they are paying a lot of attention right now to, to the peace inside the office. And when peace is good in general, but it seems to me that extra attention to that and uh, trying to resolve all possible conflicts between different people, men and women, uh, older and younger, is actually giving us more damage than the benefits. Don't you think so? Well, I think that we've lost the ability to disagree with each other and still be friends. Right. And... I sometimes hang out on Twitter, which I probably shouldn't because it's bad for your brain. (laughs) Everybody, you know, you say, I think the sky is blue and somebody comes back at you and says, well, no, it's gray where I am. And then this big fight happens. And we've lost this ability to argue points and to argue with facts. We worry way too much about feelings And once you get feelings involved, then you start having people talking about being bullied. And the thing is, is that facts are neutral Um, and nobody should be offended by a fact, but people are, and they get upset about it and it is detrimental. So I'd really like to see a return to focusing on facts and focusing on, we can disagree about the best way to carry out this project, but we all want the project to succeed. So, you know, we're gonna come to an agreement and then we're gonna go forward and whatever the agreement is, even if it's not my best choice, you and I have agreed on it and so we're gonna go forward now and we need to learn how to do that again. And I don't know how to bring that back, especially in the United States where it seems like the society is becoming so divided um, mm-hmm. that you know you can, everybody spends all their time worrying about saying something because they're gonna offend somebody and then there's gonna be a screaming, all caps, you know, <laughs> yelling on Twitter again. We don't need that. We need to be able to discuss ideas and plans and be friends afterwards. And we've moved far away from that. Yeah, but that, that fight, I totally agree with that. But that, that general fight against this bullying in the office and the harassment and discrimination and all the stuff which are bad by when, they, when we see the extreme forms of them, but the general fight against them seem to uh seem to like you said seem to destroy our ability to uh you know to to have arguments in the office to disagree with with our co-workers and to uh you know to defend our positions 
Now we are afraid to do that. We are afraid to say that I disagree with you because that might look like a bullying, because that may look like I'm, I'm being a negative person and that may cause some lawsuits in the entire corporation. And the big corporations are trying to get rid of those people, of people who are you know, being a little bit more negative than, nothing, than, than, than neutral level, than completely agreeing with everything what's happening. Right, I agree that we need, we need to be able to argue and discuss and and just agreeing with everybody isn't very helpful. Um, it where it's going? It That's my get question. Us to the truth, right? Where Where are we moving? That's my question. So, what's going to happen in twenty years? In fifty years? In fifty? <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I think we're moving down a very bad path. Um, where we're becoming more divided as a society because we're losing this ability to argue politely. And if we don't do something to stop that, I think that, that we'll have a more fractured world. And I think that's going to be really problematic. Hmm. But what do we do to solve that? I mean, to prevent that from happening. Being, being in the company, being managers. The time and follow them. Sorry, say again. I lost it for a second. Everybody should read everything that I write and follow it. <laughs> well, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, need to, we need to start. I would like to see people going back to um, having formal debate classes in school and in the university um, where you don't know until you show up for the competition which side of the debate you're going to have to be on. And that helps people learn about facts and stay away from feelings. And we need to focus more on facts and less on feelings. And um, yeah. Well, you I know, people, people are saying now, and I read a lot of books about that, that actually our decisions and the majority of our decisions are being made driven by emotions, not by facts. Right. That we are, by definition, are quite irrational creatures so we are not making our decisions because we because of the logic we just follow our intuition we follow our emotions and that's how it should be you know scientists say should follow our intuition yeah that's what they say that we are this is how we we behave normally and uh, maybe maybe that's how the business should you know manage us by based on our emotions and feelings instead of objective facts and rules and all that stuff i don't buy that for an instant <laughs> Do based on facts. Let's let's have reality here, people, and let's deal with 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 reality. And you know, let's all be kind. I'm I'm always in favor of kindness, but we don't ignore facts because we don't like them or because they don't fit our own personal narrative. Are you a rational person or irrational more? <laughs> I like to think I'm very rational. Even though you're a woman. Oh, even though I'm a woman. <laughs> yes, Mr. Stereotype. I am rational and I'm very logical. And I got a perfect score on the logical reasoning section of the GRE. So there. Uh-huh. Well, people, you know, they, people tend to think that women are more irrational and more, intu- like more driven by intuition and men are more driven by facts and logic. That's what they say. So it's a stereotype, yeah. It's a stereotype. 
And the thing is with like all stereotypes, they tend to have some basis in fact, but you have to make sure that you understand the difference between a population and a person. Overall, women work fewer hours per week than men do. The average woman works fewer hours than the average man. That doesn't mean that I work fewer hours than you work, mm -hmm. but the overall population is so. Overall, women prefer temporal flexibility. They prefer to have a more flexible schedule than men do. Does that mean that every woman prefers that? No. So that's one of the things that you have to, to be concerned about, especially in hiring and managing, is that you may know what the average population is, but you can't apply the average population to the individual. We need to treat each individual as their own person and not say, well, you're a woman, so therefore you must be uh, more feelings driven. I am a woman. I am not more feelings driven. I don't even like feelings. I'm all about logic. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, but if you are... But I want you to be nice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But look, if I'm a hiring manager and I need to hire, let's say, a person who will need to work with facts and do some analytical work, and I know I have a stereotype which is which exists, and I know that women in general tend to, you know, tend to be better with emotions and intuitions, and I know that men work with facts better. And now I have an, a line of candidates for the interviews. So why can't I use the stereotype and, and say, look, I know that the chances of getting a man with analytical skills are better, are higher. So why can't they just say, you know, only men are invited for this job. No women, please. <laughs> because you are missing out on some great analytical women um, like me. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I know. But, but my yeah. chances still, mathematically, still my chances are higher because I just, I just filter out the potentially not, not the category, which is, which is a less fit, you know, not, not as good as... Potential. You're, not, you're not wrong. And that's one of the reasons um, why you can have things such as um, paid maternity leaves actually reduce the number of women in the workforce because companies say, oh my gosh, she is 25 and married. She's going to want to have a baby. I don't want to hire that person. Exactly. I can yeah. afford to have someone out. Um, it's illegal in the United States. I don't know about the laws in, in Russia or actually I don't even know the laws in Switzerland. I should probably find out. Um, but in the United States, that's illegal. Does that mean it doesn't happen? No, of course it happens because people are looking at statistically and you think I really need someone that I know is going to be there in the future. And it's far more likely that Jane is going to have a baby and want to take that long maternity leave. So I'm going to hire Harold because it's likely that even if Harold's wife has a baby, he's only going to want to take two weeks. Exactly. Well, I know it's illegal, definitely, absolutely. But I'm thinking, I'm just asking about your opinion if, for, for being a hiring manager. So is it, um, my question is, is it, uh, I don't know even my question. <laughs> <laughs> should you do it? No, you should not. And not just because it's illegal, because like, you, like I pointed out, I'm a very analytical, logical person. Mm -hmm. And if you said, I'm just going to reject all women, well, you're going to reject me and you're going to miss out because I am awesome. Mm -hmm. 
So this stereotyping doesn't make doesn't make you doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't help you, as you're saying. Because- it doesn't help you at all. And the thing is, is that people will self-select as well. I am not going to apply for a job that I think I will be really awful at. So you can rest assured that the people applying for the job at least have interest and think that they are capable of of doing that that job. So if you're looking for a highly analytical job mm-hmm. and a woman applies to it, you can rest assured that she's an analytical type. So mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Don't worry about gender. Don't worry about race because then you're all caught up in stereotypes. I mean, I could give you stereotypes about Russians. You could give me stereotypes about Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and some of them would be really funny and some would be offensive. Yeah. Well, I can give a counter example, probably. We can say that, for example, uh, people who are taller than six feet have more analytical skills, for example. We can take like a million people and calculate the statistics and definitely we will find some correlation with the height of the person and analytical skills. But that would be just silly to to filter out shorter people because we we just think that and statistically there are 5% more of them have, you know, more analytical skills or so-so. So that would be just on big numbers that work. If we need to hire a million people, that would make sense. We can say, you know, we need a million analytical analytics. And in that case, we tend to go for men more because on the, on the big number, on the, on the million people, definitely the correlation will exist. But if we need just two people, that big numbers will not apply. That will not make sense. Right. Yeah. There you go. But so, even if you were hiring a million people, mm-hmm. you would be missing out on a lot of excellent analytical people if you just limited it to yeah but in that case we'll not worry about that because we need a huge number of them and we just know that on a million people we definitely will find more you know taller people will have better skills and shorter people for example or the vice versa or blonde people will be more analytical than people will dark with dark hair <laughs> So let's, let's hire blonde people, a million blonde people, because we know that on a million people, like 3% more of them will have more skills. Okay, let's do it. Your, your German pals would like that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> on big numbers, it maybe will make sense. I don't know. But I'm also in general against that discrimination, that sort of discrimination, because in our company, we work on a completely different uh, side of, the, of, the, uh, of this problem. We hire everybody and we don't really, we don't even care, we don't even ask for the gender or the color of the skin or everything, because all people in our company, they work remotely and we don't know who they are. We just hire them by objectively looking at their like professional skills, like the Java coding skills and programming skills. So in some cases, we don't even know who's in front of us, if it's a woman, if it's a woman or a man. So we are completely against, we're not only saying that we're against discrimination, we're doing that. So we're not even asking that question. And that's awesome. And that's one of the things that you can do when you have remote workers and you have highly technical workers. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, there's there's no need to care how someone dresses or how they interact with coworkers or whatever if they're all going to be sitting in their you know bathrobes at home working. Who cares? And that's that's awesome. I'm very glad yeah. to hear that. And we are also we are also solving the problem with bullying by defining explicit rules of the competition. So we know exactly we give people an exact specific formula of how to become a better programmer, how to be more appreciated in the team. 
You don't need to bully your friend. You don't need to actually compete with your coworker on some, uh, on some um, psychological or emotional level. You just compete by the quality of code you deliver. If you deliver better code, you are better. That's it. No discussions. You don't need to. We're not gonna. We're not gonna look at how you behave. We only look at your results. And that actually makes some people. Some people actually get offended by that approach. You'd be surprised. Yeah. yeah but some people are saying we're not. We're not monkeys like that. We're not like cogs in the engine. We don't want to be treated like that. We want our emotions to be appreciated. We want to be like people in the office and we want to talk to each other and we want you to know who I am, a woman or a man. Well, you know what? You can't ever make everyone happy, can you? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, we can't. So, I don't know, but that's, yeah, that's, that's true. But this is our situation. And this is, sometimes it troubles us as well because we, uh, you know, some, sometimes people are saying that our approach, which is, like I said, very formal and very uh, rules-oriented, is against what they would expect in many other companies. Where, Yeah, there's lots of other companies that are much more, I don't know, free with that. But I agree with you that knowing strictly what the, what the word, what the rules are, help people to succeed. And it, also helps them to know if this is a place that they want to stay. There's, there's no reason why you need to stay in a company that you don't like. You know, if you, there are millions of different jobs out there, and especially as we become more global, there's even more opportunities to, to go around um, the world and, and work with different things. Find something that fits you and what you like, and then your life is better. A lot of people take their relationship with their job more seriously than with their spouse. They're like, yeah, I can get divorced, no problem, but quit a job, no. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but anyway. Okay, thanks for the discussion. It was really interesting for me. You are really... welcome, it was lovely. Okay, have a good day then. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.